Need to get your football fix on all things Army, Navy, and Air Force? This is Yards and Stripes, Service Academy Football. Now, here are your hosts, Price Atkinson and Bill Rowland. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Happy day wherever you are. We have turned the corner and we are in the month of December. I am Price Atkinson and he is Bill Rowland and we are your co-host of Yards and Stripes, your service academy football home for Army, Navy, and Air Force. That is what we do. It has been a couple weeks, Bill. Took a little bit of a break. Uh, had the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, had a lot going on. I appreciate you, you know, commandeering the ship as we uh, as you held down one of those episodes while I was out. But we got a lot to get to as we're getting ready to wrap up this regular season, Bill. We still got one more game to go. It is obviously a big one. America's game coming up next week. We'll have our Army-Navy preview special next week with some guests and talk all about that Army-Navy game coming up in New York. But, Bill, three games last week, and I think for the first time we can say all three teams were a winner how was it going? Yeah, no, it was a great week for them. Uh, again, 3-0. Anytime you can get that weekend out of the service academy teams, especially, look, we know Army and Air Force have been pretty good this year. But, you know, even Navy, with the one game left, finished 3-5 and five in their conference this year. After the start that they had, I think Navy's got to feel pretty good about how the back end of their season went. Um, they had a couple of games. The East Carolina game, you know, two weeks ago got away from them a little bit. They'd like to have that one back, obviously. But for the most part, where we were talking about at the beginning of the year, that we thought maybe the Temple game was the only one that they had a shot of winning to then come up with three. And look, they Army-Navy, they still may end up with four wins. I mean, where they were at the beginning of the year in September to where they are now, I think of all three of the teams, Navy has made the most growth um, and the most progress over the course of the season than the other two. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll get into all three games from last weekend. Um, we'll set the table real quick. We'll, we'll, we'll recap all those games. We'll give out our proverbial game balls. We got some bowl game destinations to talk about because Air Force and Army, they're going bowling could a couple head coaches be in the mix at schools elsewhere? We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also do our Travis Mannion Foundation honor roll segment. Um, you know, we'll close up with some news and notes from around uh, the three service academies. Um, but certainly, folks, if you this is your first time listening, uh, download, subscribe. Yards and Stripes, you can listen to us on the Apple Podcast app, um, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, there's an array of places you can listen to us. Just search Yards and Stripes. It, it, we are your home for Service Academy football. Um, we appreciate every, everybody listening, downloaded, subscribing this season, previous seasons. Uh, but Bill and I are appreciative of, of everybody listening, especially in this episode as we kind of barrel here toward the end of this season. It's hard to believe that we're in December now, uh, but that's where we are as we're on the other side of the Thanksgiving holiday and hope everybody had a good one. So, Bill, let's get to the games from last weekend, and let's start on Black Friday. Um, Air Force, a 48-14 to winner in, Los, or in the Springs on Black Friday against UNLV, um, capping a regular season where they finished 9-3 and overall, 6-2 and uh, in the Mountain West Conference. Um, they finish on a uh, three-game winning streak, and now the 9-3 and record, sixth time that head coach Troy Calhoun um, in his 15 seasons uh, the sixth time they have won nine or more. And so that victory over UNLV, that is a pretty darn good mark as they finish in a tie for Utah with Utah State in the Mountain Division, 6-2. and two. How much would you love to have that game back from, what, third game of the season, I believe it was, second? It was early that first month of the season in September. But virtue of that head-to-head, a 48-45 win, Utah State, they go to the Mount West title game to face San Diego State. And we said it all season long. We kept pointing back to it. Every time Air Force would bank a win in the Mountain West, we said they're going to regret blowing that lead against Utah State late. It ended up they would have been 7-1. and one. They would have gone to the Mountain West championship game and probably well-deserved. Uh, the only other loss, San Diego State, no shame in that. They're a top 25 team, and they played them tough, but it was that loss wasn't the same as the Utah State one where they had the lead, they were up late, 
and then gave it away in the fourth quarter, and it came back to bite them. Again, 9-3, and three, spectacular year. They're going to go to a nice bowl game and, and everything else. But, man, would they love to have that Utah State game back so they could be actually playing in the Mountain West Championship. And you win that, maybe even get a better bowl than what they're going to get. But, uh, yeah, all in all, this game against UNLV kind of went as, as I expected as, as I was looking at the games and, and said, I don't think UNLV has anything for them. And they didn't. Uh, 41-19 time of possession. They were 5-10 of 10 on third down, 2-2 two and two on fourth down. They basically did whatever they wanted to do against UNLV in that game. 511 yards of total offense all on the ground. Air Force did not throw a single pass, Bill Rowland. Brad Roberts leading the way with 16 carries, had 98 yards and two scores. And was 12 carries, 123 in a score. Um, the ground game does the job. Um, you know, you mentioned, uh, I mean, they never look back. I mean, it was 24 nothing at halftime, and it was 38 uh, to nothing before UNLV could find the end zone midway through the third quarter. It was pretty much over uh, before it began. And, you know, the fact that, that Air Force did it, I believe it was on 69 total offensive plays. Yep. I mean, that's really not a lot. You think of 511 yards of, of, of total offense, especially all of it on the ground, you're thinking probably north of, you know, eight, five, nine plays. They did it on just 69 plays from scrimmage, Bill. Yeah, I mean, that was the great thing about it is that they did what they planned to do. Now, I would have liked to have seen them, and, and I've said this all year long, I'd like to see them mix in some passing every now and then. Mm-hmm. I, they could have thrown three, four, five passes in this game and worked on some things for when they play other teams, but this is what they do. They hand the ball off, they run, they do all those things. They averaged, again, just about, what, six yards a carry or so? A little bit, Actually, a little bit more than that, I guess, so... I mean, they were in second and three, second and two all game long, which is why they only had 10 third downs in the entire Mm -hmm. game. For a game that they dominated, they only had 10 third downs. So they were in second and short all game long and converting those where they didn't get themselves into bad spots. I'm sure Coach Calhoun thrilled with the output of this game, thrilled with the way they played. And it's, again, a nice way to end off the season now they can get to, to their exam schedule and everything else and then worry about wherever they're going to end up for the bowl season and, and have a nice time with that. Yep, Falcons will find out on Sunday, this coming Sunday, December 5th, where they will land as far as their postseason um, destination. But again, Air Force 48, UNLV 14 in the regular season finale in the Springs for Troy Calhoun's team. All right, uh, Bill, uh, turning the black knights they uh, hit the road what 31 to 16 over liberty um another independent another fbs independent uh the fight in hugh freezes you know they played a pretty tough schedule um has liberty but they had fallen on some hard times late um but army 31 to 16 a, a dominating win really by the army defense Army now has won three straight games or four straight after losing three in a row midseason. You know, this four-game win streak started against Air Force, but, you know, Liberty had lost two straight coming in, and Army made it three in a row. And I kind of thought this game might be a little bit more competitive, especially the way Malik Willis and and the Flames can throw the football around. Uh, But it wasn't. Army jumped on it uh, early in the game, I believe, got uh, turnover on downs and took advantage, kicking a a field goal to go up 3-0, and they never looked back. Yeah, this game was – the final was 31-16. It wasn't that close. I mean, it was 31-3, and that was deep into the third quarter, and then Liberty got a couple of scores. And I don't think anybody scored in the fourth quarter. I think Army basically played keep away as best they could. But – the amazing thing is, you talked about the defense. The amazing thing in this game was Army was outgained in this game. Liberty had more total yards. They ended up throwing for over 300 yards against Army. They had more total yards, but it was the turnovers. The defense forced two turnovers. They got two interceptions in the game. As you said, got a, uh, a turnover on downs, which I guess technically doesn't go in the turnover stat, but they were able to stop Liberty there. But it was an unarmy like game. Price, if you look at it, they had only one scoring drive went for more than 55 yards. They only had two scoring drives that were more than 10 plays, which we'll talk about with Navy coming up. That's usually how Army, Navy, Air Force score is they grind you down. 
and they go on those 12-play, 11-play, you know, 79-yard drives that eat up half of a quarter, and you're standing on the other sideline going, we just want the ball back. You know, it's up here like, can we not do four yards, four yards, four yards, I mean, over and over again, and I think teams get rushed. I think that's what happened to Liberty is once they got down, they started yeah. trying to play catch-up so much that they were rushing through things rather than saying, hey, you know what? We can go on our own seven, eight-minute drive ourselves. But Army was fantastic in this game, just playing kind of the keep away. They'd have a five-play, 55-yard drive for a touchdown. That only took up three and a half minutes off the clock. But then their next drive that they may not score on took another five, six minutes off yep. the clock and just played <clears throat> keep away. Yep. Yeah, and Army got a boost back with starting center back in, I think, close to 20 knockdowns in the game, you know, leading the way up the middle for fullback Jacoby Buchanan, who was uh, 22 carries, 80 yards, and three touchdowns. Um, Christian Anderson, three of four, throwing it for 102 and a touchdown. But, the, you know, the Army defense, once again, you know, talk always you know, so much about, you know, their offense. It's, you know, what they do defensively oftentimes, it just doesn't get the credit it deserves. And, you know, Hugh Freeze, obviously known as a, you know, up-tempo, likes to throw it around, uh, you know, high-octane offense. This Liberty team not clearly is not as good as last year's. Um, but, the you know, they were plus two uh, de- in the turnover department. There were two uh, Malik Willis uh, interceptions. You know, and this is now, I think, the fifth time this season and the third time in the last four games that they have not given up an, an offensive touchdown in the first half to their opponents. And so when you can go into the break, you know, with that kind of momentum and your defense playing that well, that's going to lead you to a lot of good places. And it's led Army to an 8-3 a, an and three mark right now as they get ready for the regular season finale against Navy. And there, again, we talked about Air Force regretting their loss to Utah State. How much better would this Army season look if they hadn't lost to Ball State, which I'm still – Really, not not confused. I'm still just stunned that they lost that game. They're playing so well, and then they did nothing against Ball State in that game. Look, you can understand them losing to Wisconsin. You can understand them losing to Wake Forest. Those two losses make sense, and they were competitive in both of those games. Yeah. The Ball State game, I guarantee if you, if you go back and, and ask Coach Munkin about it, you're going to be like, <clears throat> looking at this season, what happened here? He still may not have an explanation of why they just didn't show up to play. Now, he may look at the injuries because they were beat up, at that point, but still, 10-2 and two with oh, your only losses to Wisconsin, who was a game away from playing in the Big Ten Championship, and to <laughs> Wake Forest, who's playing in the ACC title game, that's a pretty darn good season if you're yeah. an Army team. So they're regretting that one loss. I think all, of, all the teams have that one that they're regretting. That's the one for Army is that Ball State game. Yeah, and I've said it a couple times, you know, they, there always seems to be a, a game with the service academies where just, you know, a game that you just kind of shake your head and like, how do we lose that? And just the demands on, you know, the student athletes at all three schools and institutions and academies, it's just so hard to get up every single week. And, you know, I think that was Armies against Ball State. I think Navy, clearly, you can pick, you can pick a couple games there. Uh, Air Force really, in a lot of ways, hadn't had it so much this year I mean they you know they lost three games but you know all three of their losses were by a touchdown or less they never really had a clunker which is kind of abnormal um at least in in my book for a service academy team going through you know a, a college football season and honestly you see it happen in pretty much every single sport but we magnified obviously in college football because that's what we do here but you know just another big win uh for army uh, now you get both teams army navy coming into that game up up in new york next week with you know the winning taste in their mouth and you know navy certainly wanted to have that but army you know on a four game win streak going into that game their defense is playing well you know offensively you got to love where you are um we'll get into all that next week and you know andre carter one more thing to mention you know that the army defense was so good he only had one tackle technically but he was all over the field and pressuring malik willis in in going back and watching some of that game Uh, malik willis was 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 you know, out of the pocket more often than not. And a lot of it had to do with that defensive line, especially Andre Carter coming, you know, from that linebacker end spot. So, you know, a fantastic game for Army, 31-16 to 16 over Liberty in Lynchburg. All right, one more, Bill. The midshipmen, they go up to the city of brotherly love. The AAC finale on uh, the 2021 campaign, 
Navy 38, Temple 14. As Temple has now lost seven in a row, it's the most points Navy has scored in two years as they never trailed en route to the 38-14 to win over the Temple Owls. Yeah, and they, I mean, they had 35, uh, you know, the week ago against East Carolina. So you can see the offense starting to get back on track uh, for Navy. And they did exactly, again, as we've talked about, what you would expect a team that's running this type of option. They scored on all six of their red zone trips, which has been a problem for Navy. We, we talked about this earlier in the year where they would get in the red zone and then bog down and not score. Five touchdowns, one field goal in this game on six red zone trips. 10 of 17 combined on third and fourth down. Again, remarkable. They held Temple to just three of 10 on third downs. That got them off the field. And let's give it up for the punter as well. Three of the four punts inside the 20. So you're making Temple have to go on long drives, which again, they are not going to be able to do. Temple, quite frankly, not a great or very good football team. So when you pin them deep and force them to have to make long drives, they're not capable of doing that. Um, Navy's defense ended up giving up less than 200 yards total offense on the game and only 11 first downs. So across the board, special teams, offense, defense, Navy won all three. Probably, I'm not going to say their best game of the year because they played Cincinnati pretty well, who may be playing for the college football in the, in the college football playoffs. But as far as a victory, this is probably the most complete game they've played in getting a win this season. Yeah, I I could not agree with you more on that. I think it was, without a doubt, their most complete game. Uh, as you mentioned, you only you give up less than 100, uh, 200 yards of total offense, only 84 on the ground. Um, I I think offensively, certainly, you'd like to be a little bit better. I, I mean, it's hard to say that when you score 38 points and win by that comfortable of a margin, but they did put the ball on the ground five times. They yep. only lost one. Um, but those kind of issues that have, have has plagued Navy all year, you don't want to be putting the ball on the ground five times, much less one. Um, but defensively, you know, Diego Fugo has always been the man, and that's what you think of when you think about Navy's defense. But while the upperclassmen led the way on offense for the mids, you know, their top four tacklers um, are, are youngsters, sophomores or freshmen. Three of their four leading tacklers in the game were freshmen. They were, you know, plebes. And Tyler Fletcher, who led the way uh, with seven tackles, um, including his first career sack, he's a freshman out of Nashville. You know, getting that kind of youth movement on defense, that's that's obviously going to help you, you know, down the road, and it certainly did, you know, in this game. But, you know, the, the only thing is you just want to see those kind of mistakes cleaned up. Lavatai and Arline both going in the game for, for Navy. They both throw a touchdown pass. Um, you got to be sharper, you know, in that Army-Navy game. But the biggest thing in this one, like Coach Ken said afterwards, at this stage in the game, you get a win, you'll take. All right, Navy 38, Temple 14 again. Um, Midshipmen three and eight overall, three and five in the American Athletic. Temple falling to three and nine, one and seven in the AAC. As Navy now turns its attention to the Army Navy game coming up uh, next weekend. All right, Bill, let's give out some game balls. Why don't you uh, why don't you fire away first, my man? Yeah, I'm going to go back to Army, and we talked about how well their defense played. Again, they were up 31 to three against Liberty, and a lot of it was being able to control the passing game of Liberty. Uh, did a great job again, won the turnover battle, getting two interceptions. So I'm going to go with one of the guys who got one of those interceptions. He also led Army with the nine tackles on the day as well. Jabari Moore, the sophomore cornerback, gets my game ball again. They had a big challenge coming into this game, and despite the fact that Malik Willis threw for over 300 yards passing, they were kind of empty calorie-type yards where when it mattered, when the game was still close, they did a nice job against him got themselves out to that big lead. And, yeah, you get a couple of late touchdowns, no big deal. So I'm going with Jabari Moore in that entire secondary there for Army for doing a great job against Liberty this past weekend. All right, I'm going to go out to the Colorado Springs and go with the Air Force Academy, and I'm going to go with their their offense, the entire Falcon offense, because I'm with you. I would like to see, like you mentioned, I'd like to see them throw a couple passes, complete a couple passes, just to keep defenses somewhat honest. Uh, but when you have when you line up and, and rush for 511 yards uh, on 69 plays, and you do it with so many guys carrying the football, four, 14 guys carried it, five had uh, touchdown runs in the game for offensive quarter, coordinator Mike Thiessen's unit. Um, Roberts, we know, is, is a mainstay, and Emmanuel Michelle's become such a weapon, and they did it. 
just want to point out they did it without Hazik Daniels again at quarterback. You know, he's he is he can throw the football, and I think that's probably why you did not see Air Force throw the football is they just tried, tried to keep it simple against a team, let's be frank, that they really didn't need to get cute with. They just right. needed to go straight at UNLV. Um, but it'll be interesting to see Hazik Daniels, given the time off, uh, you know, coming back for the bowl game. I would like to think, not knowing the injury situation, exactly what it is, that they would that would give him time to rest up and be back in uniform for whoever they play, wherever they play. Uh, but my game ball will go to the Air Force offense uh, coming from last weekend. All right, Bill, we got more to do here. Bowl games, possible coaching changes. Um, Travis Manning Foundation honor roll where you honor a fallen hero. We got that to do as well as uh, kind of close up with a few note, news and notes here on Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football. In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the words he spoke before his final deployment, if not me, then who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Mannion Foundation. And through TMF, these words can live in you too. Show the world what you're made of, because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismannion.org. And welcome back to Yards and Stripes, everyone. Bill Rowan along with Price Atkinson. And no games to preview this week, Price, because we're still waiting for the Army-Navy game. That will come next week uh, on December 11th. So let's talk about where Army and Air Force may end up after this season, regular season, is done. Air Force is finished. Everybody's going to find out on the 5th, uh, coming up Sunday. So Army will have one game after that, but they'll know where they're going for the bowl game as well. And we've seen a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different matchups, some of them more interesting than others. But if you're looking at Army and Air Force in the bowl situation, you don't necessarily get to pick where you want to go, but you have a couple of options. If you're these guys, where do you think you, you want to be headed to this this bowl season? Well, you're wanting to go somewhere sunny and you're wanting to go somewhere warm. I think those are the the two things, especially for both, you know, Air Force and, and Army that are going to be coming from cold weather. Yeah. You know, it's, it's gotten cold where they are. And Navy, you know, obviously, uh, you know, fairly cold up in, uh, you know, you know, outside of D.C. at this time of year. But, you know, you're getting chilly uh, and feeling uh, winter around the corner out in Colorado Springs and up at West Point. But. You know, sunny and warm is the name of the game, and, and traditionally that's where you go. And looking at, at some of the destinations that you and I kind of have kind of peeked around, and, and you know, there's so many people that do bowl projections, and there's ones that I think you and I kind of look at a little bit with more sincerity, let's just put it that way, than some of the others. Um, you know, one thing's been pretty consistent as far as uh, Air Force, and it looks like, you know, most of the bowl projections that we've seen have them playing on December 22nd. Uh, in the Armed Forces Bowl in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, you know, I know that they've traditionally liked to slot, you know, a service academy team in that spot if and when you can. Um, and it certainly looks like that would be a, a good place for Air Force to go, especially you're not having to go all the way across the country. Warm weather destination, and, you know, you're likely to be put up against probably another team from, you know, the Lone Star State. And I think we've seen SMU. I yep. think we've seen UTEP. Uh, a couple of the teams that have been mentioned as far as uh, a possible opponent for Air Force. But it looks like the Armed Forces Bowl, barring anything that's a surprise, it looks like that's where we might see them playing their next football game during the season, Bill. And that makes sense. And they had a really good crowd. Now, it's going to be different than the bowl game, but there is a pretty good crowd the last time they were in Texas for the Air mm -hmm. Force Army game. Uh, so I think they, again, that's what these bowl games are looking for is, okay, a, yes, they want the best team that they can possibly get, but they also want a team that they know will bring fans. And in this case, if you have Air Force, you know people are going to show up to go watch Air Force play. And if you match them against a team from Texas, 
you're probably going to have a pretty good crowd, which is what everybody is looking for. So I like that spot for Air Force in the matchup, whether it's SMU or UTEP. Either way, we know Air Force is just going to try to do the same thing they did against UNLV, run the ball 60, 70 times, try to control the clock and get a W that way. But I think it would be fun to see them back in Texas. I think it's a good spot for them. Yeah, and you got a couple Air, uh, Air Force bases. Shepard and, and Dias are not too far away. Uh, so you've, you've got, you know, a military flavor there when it comes to the Air Force. And, you know, you're going to have in, in that region, you're going to have, you know, a little bit of everything, especially in a major you know, major market like that, but in the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area that's so big, uh, you know, you do have two Air Force, you know, large Air Force bases, and obviously Fort Hood is in, you know, that area as well. So right. strong military flavor, and, and, and I know that's why that Armed Forces Bowl, one reason why it is, you know, in Dallas, Texas, in, in Dallas-Fort Worth area. So, yeah, I'd be surprised if they go somewhere else, but you never know. We've, we've gotten curveballs on uh, Bowl Destination Sunday before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it will be where other ones fall and who has the selection and how it goes through. But yeah, if it gets to that, I would think the Air Force Bowl, excuse me, the Military Bowl would want to look at one of these two teams as well. But the Armed Forces Bowl, if they get the pick ahead of time, they're taking Air Force. Yeah, how much would... uh... Army and then or Air Force love coming to the Naval Academy for right. the military bowl after Christmas. I think Army would be a lot more likely, maybe just in terms of you know location, well, distance. Yeah, yeah, distance from West Point. But you know who but knows how, how many people if, if that were to happen. How many people that are there around in Annapolis who generally would go to the military bowl because I've I've been out there for it before, and it's a lot of the locals will go because it's right there for them. How many of them are showing up for Army? Though <laughs> I don't know that I don't know that they'll go over too well. Depending on how the game goes on the 11th, they may not want to see Army playing in their stadium that day. I think you would see a lot of Navy fans probably turn out uh, for that game only because they you know they want to keep. I mean it's a it's for the community you know sure. a money maker for the local community. But you'd probably see a lot of Navy fans turn out in their Navy gear. I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd see more probably pulling for the Black Knights in that game. It would be hard to do in stomach, but so many people, you know, they always say, look, we, we certainly don't want them to win uh, when they're playing us, clearly. But it, but it, it was funny because I, I, was, know. I was just out there. Our uh, George Mason women's basketball team played in the Navy women's uh, holiday tournament over Thanksgiving. Okay. So I was out there. For the game, and it was funny to me because it was the day that they're playing. You know, Navy's on the road; they're playing Temple, and still two weeks out. As I'm walking through the campus, there it's nothing but beat Army flags, and I'm like, guys, you have to beat. You're playing Temple today. Can we take care of Temple first? But yeah. that's all, all the way through. So I got a big chuckle out of that. So I was like, okay, well, they're they're already geared up. It's two weeks away, but they're they're set and ready to go. I oh. imagine those flags are out. 365 days of the year so it's not that big of a deal that is correct and you know when they it's always going to fire up a little bit early because you may have seen or you may not have seen the um the 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 cadets from west point stole the wrong goat yeah i did see that yeah it's not not wise no no stole the wrong goat i believe it was returned it's been kind of an off-limit sort of thing since i think the mid late 90s I've uh, tried to, you know, not do that anymore, but uh, <laughs> I think there was a, a reprimand that was handed down up at West Point. But, yeah, that stuff gets fired up fairly early, fairly early and I'm sure the dining halls at both uh, all week this week and clearly next. It's going to be a fun place to be uh, for Army-Navy week. But, you know, when you take bold destinations for Army, we've kind of seen a few things all over the place, Bill, haven't we? I mean, it's, yeah, not, it's-, it, it's not really yeah it's all over the map I, the one that i've seen the most um connected to is down there the myrtle beach bowl uh against coastal carolina which again if you're an army cadet could you do worse than spending a week in myrtle beach now you're not gonna be out there you know crashing into the waves or anything it's not gonna be that warm in december down in south carolina but it's certainly gonna be warmer than up there in uh in new york um, so that'd be a nice game, and it'd be interesting. You know, Coastal Carolina was a team top twenty-five earlier. They lost a couple of games, so they're not going to be ranked. But um, it would be a fun game because, again, a contrast in styles, as we always talk about. So I think that one would be good for them, and we've seen them uh, a couple other spots as well. But the one that that I'm expecting to see is them probably going to the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Although we did see one 
that had Army against LSU, which would be fascinating to watch Army take on an SEC school, especially an LSU team that right now doesn't have a head coach. Well, yeah, whether Brian Kelly coaches in that bowl game or not, who knows, but that would be – that would be some serious fun to see Army and LSU. Holy cow, you talk about a team that probably didn't, would not give two craps to be there in LSU. Right. An Army who would literally be salivating to cut block and freaking triple option them to death. Man, you talk about how fun that would be. But, yeah, you know, Army versus Coastal. Uh, we've you know, First responder bowl, I think you said you had seen that one somewhere, December yep. 28th. Yep. Army versus Coastal in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, December 20th. Ironically, I think, I believe, if I've got it right, I think that those two teams are going to open up the season next year, 2022, uh, on the Teal Field down in, in Conway at Coastal Carolina. I believe well, see, that's the season opener next year. If I was not aware of that, if that's the case, if I'm Army, I'm not playing. I don't want anything to do with playing Coastal Carolina then because I don't want them to, to get a, a, a free look, if you will, before I play them next year. So, if I'm Coach Munkin, I'm I'm telling them I'm not playing that game against Coastal. I don't want that game, and I'm sure they no, have. I'm sure they have some say in it, it. You know, if the bowl game reaches out and says, "Hey, would you like to come down?" Yeah, sure, I'll come to the Myrtle Beach Bowl, but I'm not playing Coastal. That's just yeah. if I'm them. If I'm playing them next year, I'm not doing that. Oh, I agree, a hundred percent. But I think you always, if you, if given the choice, with all due respect to Jamie Chadwell and, and Coastal's program. Um, if you're a service academy, it doesn't matter which one you are. You're always wanting a P5, a bite of the apple, whether it's, uh, you know, like uh, was it Navy played Virginia a couple years ago, like a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, Virginia that, you know, are you happy to be? You just never know a lot of times with those, you know, teams that are like in that 6-6, six and 7-5 six, range that, you know, barely qualify. You know, if it's a new staff, you always want the extra practices. If it's, you know – if it's kind of old hat, you know, like okay, how much do we? It's a, how much do you right. really want to be there? Kind of motivation, kind of thing. Uh, but you always want to have a shot at one of the P fives when you can get yes. it, especially something sexy, at least that we would see as an Army versus LSU, or you know, uh, you know, pick a middling, you know, SEC school like South a, Carolina, South, yeah. South Carolina, like a Birmingham. But I mean, clearly the destination wouldn't be attractive, but the opponent would be so. Right. I think that's what I'd be wanting, and certainly if I'm Army or any of the, you know, the, um, you know, Air Force, but especially Army, because you don't know who and where at this point. Yep. Bill, you know, coaching carousel is obviously spinning, and to say it's in full circle, and, you know, this week has been one wild week, uh, seeing things that I personally didn't think I'd see happen, Luke Lincoln Riley going to Southern Cal, um, you know, Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame, uh, to go to to LSU, especially something I never in my wildest dreams thought I would see a coach leave a team that's still in the college football playoff hunt. I don't think I ever expected in my life to see that happen. Money talks is the only thing that I can uh, think of in that situation, but that's what Brian Kelly has done. And, you know, it's a team that obviously that Navy goes up against every year as they will have a new head coach next year. Yeah, I, I mean, look, he's got, what, over 100 million reasons on why he left Notre Dame, but it will be interesting. It doesn't – it's not going to take much for things to fall into place for Notre Dame to be in the top four and make the college football playoff. Well, that would be like the third time in four years for them, yeah. uh, which is remarkable. But, yeah, I it's going to be interesting, too, because the college football playoff committee has said mm-hmm. that they will take into account player availability and coach availability so not having a head coach I mean if it comes down to hey do we want this team or Notre Dame and I don't know which one it would come down to they may lean and say well Notre Dame doesn't have doesn't have their head coach maybe we want to go in this in this other direction so that kind of stinks for for those players but um, it's interesting because everybody was kind of jumping on the um, he's running scared from the SEC bandwagon and talking about Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma as they're getting ready to go to the SEC and, and going out to USC because it's an easier time to possibly get to the you know the college football playoffs out of the Pac-12. And then you've got Brian Kelly jumping right into the fire in the SEC with LSU. I'm not so sure that makes sense for him from a coaching perspective. Now, from a wallet perspective, a bank account, you know, uh, thing, it makes perfect sense. 
But how hard is that road now to get back to the college football playoff if you're at LSU? Now, I know Saban's not going to be there forever at Alabama, but he's there now. And and yeah. Kelly's 60 himself. So, I mean, this is a 10-year deal. Supposed to take him until he's 70. I mean, it, it may be a while before he's, he's quote-unquote, the top dog down there again. Although the last three coaches at LSU have won national titles, he's going to try to make it four straight. Yeah, no coaches love to be challenged, you know, and they they love a good challenge, love to be told they can't do it. Um, you know, and and the longevity that Kenny Amatololo at Navy, Troy Calhoun at Air Force and Jeff Munkin have, you know, at Army, you know, to see where their names are mentioned and and so far really the only opening that I've seen um, you know, at least publicly you know, is is Duke David Cliff, yeah. who was there, I believe, fourteen years, uh, a fantastic coach and an even better person. I met Coach Cutcliffe a couple times, and just a fantastic person. You know, they, Duke decides to part ways with him, and that's a place I've seen Jeff Munkin and Troy Calhoun's name mentioned. I don't think Calhoun's name makes as much sense maybe as Munkin does. Um, you know, a lot of schools. I know Kansas was really pretty close on Munkin before. Um, you know, a lot of it comes down to, do you want to run the triple option? Is that going to sell you the kind of tickets? But, you know, in my book, it's always about winning. And, you know, the bottom line sometimes is more than about winning, and they usually go hand in hand. But at Duke's a place where you got to do something a little bit different. You know, the, the student athletes you're going to recruit at Duke are a little bit different um, than what you're going to get. It, a lot more alike, you know, say a, a, an Ivy League, uh, a service academy. I could see Munkin making some sense there and them trying to get away from the, you know, the NSA offense, as Paul Johnson liked to call it, you know, and trying to do something a little bit different and switch it up, what Jeff Munkin would obviously bring. And I know he said before that he's not wedded to the triple option. You could run it from a spread situation and, and do some of the kind of things you, he wants to, to do in that offense, you know, out of a, a different triple option look. Yeah, I mean, look, Georgia Tech made the the triple option work in the ACC. They were, yeah. you know, near the top for a few years, and and it goes in waves. You've got to get the right quarterback. You've got to get the right running backs. And I I don't think, I don't think you could run that offense and be a, a top dog in the league for a five to seven year period. But you could, if you get the right pieces in there, have a nice run of two or three years. Um, of being a threat and being at the top, and then the rest of the time, if you're a team that's going eight and four, seven and five, Duke would sell their soul for that in football if they could get that type of, um, if they could get that type of record every year from their football team. So, I mean, does Munkin end up at Duke in running that program? I guess it's a possibility. I haven't really looked and seen other names. The question is, is he going to want to be? the guy that tries to build them back up or is he happy enough at army and stable enough at army and knows that he can win at army and that's the thing you said coaches like a challenge they do but you also have to be smart and accept in, in what challenge you're going to accept and whether it makes sense for you at that point in your career he goes to duke and it doesn't work that may be it for for coach Munkin as far as being a head coach anymore yeah yeah, you got to there. It's it's you know the challenge is one thing, but there are a lot of other different uh, things you look at. You know the AD yep. you work for is it the AD that hired you? You know, do you have a new administration? Um, your family happy? You're, where your kids go to school? I mean, there are a lot of things that you just would never think of that are part of the equation that the coaches do prioritize. You know, the fact that you know you've got a winning thing going and a lot of momentum you don't want to lose that you know right and, and job it, security yeah and the other thing for and it's different because army look let's face it army it's not if you're at lsu it's football and they yeah. have other sports that are pretty good i mean basketball's had there but it's football army it's different because it's army it's about the education and the service academy there but as far as their sports program goes army football is still probably the dominant sport on that campus Sure. Even no if doubt. they even if they have a good basketball team, it's still going to be the football team that everybody seems to care about more than any other sport. It's not going to be that way at Duke ever. Yep. It's not going to Duke football will never be more important than Duke basketball in our lifetime. It's just not going to happen. So that's the yep. other thing a coach has to take into consideration. Are you okay going and being second fiddle? to another sport on campus. And we know coaches have egos. They have to, and I have no problem with it. They may not want to be 
a part of a team that is second fiddle or thought of as second fiddle on campus. They may want to be the top dog. I don't know that Munkin is that type of guy. He doesn't seem that way to me. He seems like a very humble, respectful guy. But you don't know in the back of his head if he wants to go down there and play second fiddle to Duke basketball. Yeah, all that 100%. And the other thing, too, is, you know, these coaches, you know, obviously the longevity of their schools. Troy Calhoun, he played it at the Air Force Academy. Deep, deep ties clearly as a graduate and having been there for, what, what 14 years now as a head coach, 15 years. Um, you know, Ken Niamatololo has been at Navy uh, going back to, what, 2001 as an assistant, you know, with Paul Johnson then taking over. So, basically 20 years, almost 20 years yeah. for, for Kenny and Annapolis. And, you know, Jeff Munkin was part of that staff that came in in 2001 with Paul Johnson. You know, he left for a little while, you know, went to Georgia Southern as the head coach and, you know, now at, uh, now at Army. So he's kind of had a bite of the Service Academy Apple from, from two schools, you know. And I know, you know, knowing all three coaches, how much they love and, and they respect you know, the student athletes and, and the culture and, and not just that, you know, the leaders that they're the men that they coach are going to go off to be. And it's not easy to, to leave that, you know, you know, I know all three coaches have, have, have had opportunities to probably leave their respective schools. You know, Kenny, I know was probably one of the most recent ones, you know, being courted by BYU again, I believe for a second time, just what, two years ago and offer was on the table and he declined it. And, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. You know, it's a hard thing to pull yourself away from something that's really special and you just cannot find except it only at three, you know, academies. And that's what they have at Army, Navy, and Air Force. And, you know, what makes Service Academy football special, Bill? So, yep, it'll be interesting to see what happens on the coaching carousel. But when we come back, we got our Travis Manion Foundation honor roll segment where we honor a member of fallen hero. And then we'll close up shop here on this episode of Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football. Travis Manning Foundation is making a difference in local communities across the country. In the words that Travis Manning himself spoke before his final deployment, if not me, then who? And the Travis Manning Foundation is just working tirelessly, uh, led by so many people, including Ryan Manion, uh, the CEO and president herself. So many of her amazing team uh, that is working in local communities with, with family members, with loved ones, to empower veterans and their families of the fallen heroes to develop character in future generations. As you know, listening to this podcast before, and if this is your first time, uh, this is where we remember a fallen hero who has given the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And this week, we're going to remember Chris Romeo Bishendot. And Chris Bishendot was born in Guyana, uh, September the 14th, 1977. Uh, but he went on and he was a member of the United States Navy working in the Pentagon. And he had only been there for three months before he was tragically killed, along with so many other people on that fateful day of t- September the 11th, 2001, as he was on board American Airlines Flight 77 that crashed into the Pentagon. He grew up in, in Charles County, was the oldest of three children, spent six years in the Navy, had been taking classes locally at the University of Maryland College Park while working as a systems technician. Chris Bishendot reported, you know, to duty aboard the USS Yorktown in 1997. And he quickly uh, transferred to the USS Shreveport, uh, where Lieutenant Mike Coleman, then his division officer, said, quote, he quickly established himself as one of the finest sailors to ever walk the decks of the Super Gator, end quote. And according to those around him and family, you know, while aboard the USS Shreveport, he became the icon of education and training as he spent countless hours in providing computer accessibility, distance learning, and operating as the ship's webmaster. And he then, as we mentioned, just went on uh, to work uh, in the chief of Naval Operations Telecommunications Center uh, at the Pentagon uh, as part of the Naval Computer and Telecommunications uh, station uh, that he quickly qualified in three different watch stations and was well on his way to success. He was later awarded uh, the Purple Heart, uh, the Navy Commendation Medal, 
and the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal, along with the Navy Unit Commendation, National Defense Service Medal, and mo many other awards uh, after his death. And he is survived by his mother and his father, uh, as well as his sisters. Chris Romeo Bishendot, uh, like so many other Americans that day, family, friends, and loved ones, our, our, our lives changed uh, directly, indirectly on that tragic day uh, when those two planes hit the Twin Towers. Uh, one Another plane obviously went down in Pennsylvania, and the other one, they crashed into the Pentagon. And so we take the time to remember uh, Chris Romeo Bishendot this week, uh, that we take this time to remember our fallen heroes, because while they may be fallen, they are certainly never forgotten in our hearts. All right, final segment here on Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football. He's Bill Rowland. I'm Price Atkinson. And, you know, closing up shop here, Bill, a couple uh, news and notes to pass along. Air Force, uh, four players uh, named to the Mountain West All-Conference team. Uh, no surprise, junior fullback Brad Roberts and senior offensive lineman Hank Wimmer uh, getting named to the first team, while junior outside linebacker Vince Sanford and senior defensive lineman Jordan Jackson were named second team. Uh, and you had a couple guys uh, – you know, on the defensive side of the football, Trey Bug, the third, and Corbin Taylor, safety, uh, named honorable mention, as was Brandon Lewis, wide receiver. So congratulations to those Air Force players, and certainly uh, I don't think any kind of surprise there. Brad Roberts, uh, ninth in the country in, in rush yards with over 1,200 this season, averaging 106 per game, no surprise. And, you know, Jordan Jackson, he's the second team, uh, you know, all Mountain West performer. He's the guy that's going to have a chance to play on Sundays for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and good reward for guys who have had really nice seasons, especially, you know, we, we talked about Brad Roberts pretty much every single week because he has been kind of that, that bell cow, as they say, running back for Air Force. And, uh, and while he may not make it to the NFL, boy, I tell you what, he's going to end up having one of the best Air Force careers uh, probably all over their record books when it's all said and done. So good for him and a, a nice reward for what has been a really, really good season. Yeah, outstanding. So congratulations to those Falcons. And, you know, the week before the Army-Navy game traditionally brings the uh, uniform unveiling where, you know, Army and Navy typically break out some new threads. And that is what's broken out this week is Navy, they unveil their new Under Armour Fly Navy uh, uniforms. These are an inspiration um, in, in tribute, I guess I should say, to the FA-18 Super Hornet. And so uh, – you know, a navy blue look with a with a gray slash silver you know helmet, kind of looks a little bit like the uh, the Marine Corps uniforms from a couple years ago. Uh, but navy being what the home team this year, they'll have the uh, the home uniforms and you know that uh, home dark navy colored navy uh, top and navy pants. They really really look sharp. Oh, that uniform is a ten out of ten. It is unbelievable how cool it looks. The logo on the side of the helmet, uh, for those people who may not be familiar, it looks like the Top Gun logo from the movie. Um, not sure if they did it because the movie was supposed to be out at this point, and of course it got delayed till next year, the new Top Gun Maverick. But it is a badass helmet. It looks phenomenal. And sorry, no offense to Army, Navy wins the uniform battle. It's not going to mean anything when they when they line it up on December 11th, but Navy won the uniform battle this year. It is an awesome, awesome uniform. And I'm usually not a guy who's like into the helmets and the uniforms and everything else. I would take one of those helmets in a heartbeat. It is tremendous. It's a fantastic look. Yeah. Army going to unveil the uh, the white United We Stand. Well, they have unveiled, but their Nike white United We Stand, um, honoring the Special Forces Operational Detachment Alphas from the 5th Special Forces Group. Kind of reminds me a little bit of a couple years ago, that game in the snow. I believe it was I might, might have been my last Army-Navy game that I've been to like three years ago. The game that was played in the snow where Navy had a kick. I believe it was like they had a couple false starts late in the game kept pushing themselves back. I believe it was like a 50-yarder, 51-yarder in the driving snow late in the game to tie it or win it. Uh, but in that game, Army had was, uh, you know, the visiting team and had those all-white uniforms. That's what these United We Stand uniforms look like again. Just remind me, it's just not something you, you used to seeing, like one, either of these teams in all-white. You know, yeah. they just pop. Um, you know, but again, it's special. And I, and I mentioned, too, you know, I keep saying New York. 
you know, the game's going to be played in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Right. You know, it's the you know, 20th anniversary, uh, you know, going back to 9-11 from, from 2001. And, you know, you know, symbolic reason why they're playing it, you know, up uh, just outside of New York City. So going to be a ton of, you know, like there always is, but probably even more so this time next week, you know, with everything that's going to go on besides the march-ons. You know, but things that are going to be crafted from around uh, the 9-11 anniversary bill. Yeah, and and again, no disrespect to the Army uniform because it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's not the Navy uniform this <laughs> year, but it's it's pretty nice. But, yeah, it's weird. I mean, the Black Knights, and they're going to be in, in the in the all-whites. But It's a pretty sharp look, but, man, that Navy helmet just pops with that uniform. It's a, it's a <laughs> cool, cool look. And they did a really nice reveal video, too, out there on the aircraft carrier and, and that whole thing. So, that was kind of a cool thing from Navy. But, yeah, it'll be fun. We'll talk about it. We'll preview it more next week. But uh, it's it's always a nice way to end out the college football season. You know you've got the college, uh, the conference championships this week. But Army-Navy kind of gets the week to themselves. They're the game that's on, uh, you know, on the 11th, that second Saturday in December. So it's nice for them to have it kind of all to themselves that, that whole week where the, the lead-up to it is going to be tremendous. Yeah, I agree. It's it's the way it should be. The Army Navy game sitting on a Saturday by itself, and there is no other game like it. And you and I, we, we will dive into so much more with that game next week on our Army Navy preview special. We'll have some guests, and we'll talk all about that game. Uh, Three o'clock kickoff, CBS. There's nobody else that brings it uh, into your home uh, like CBS Sports does. And I will say that biasly. They do a f- fantastic job. Uh, bringing that game to people not just here around the country but servicemen and women around the globe so we will talk all about army navy next week bill but until then great job my man um you know appreciate all your time all your help this season as we kind of barrel here toward the end army navy game and then we got some bowl games to preview and then we'll wrap it up a little bit uh after that on on what goes down but bill we'll do it again next week man appreciate it yeah looking forward to that army navy preview should be fun All right, guys, have a great week. Stay safe wherever you are, and we will talk to you next week here on Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football. Thanks for being with us for this edition of Yards and Stripes Service Academy football. A reminder to find us on social media through Yards and Stripes and subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And we will catch you next time on Yards and Stripes, Service Academy Football.